0: Grief is still with me. Um, there's rarely a day. No, there's never a day that there is a, some kind of tearful moment about something I remember it can be tears of gratitude and tears of joy. Um, I know how painful it is to lose someone <laughs> to lose to have someone you love transition to the other side. And I want you to know that we wrote this book for you. And I hope it will give you some peace and I hope it will give you some hope and more than anything else, I hope it will give you the courage to discuss your own experience with me. I hope you'll be in touch with me, but with your family and with your friends, because this is, a very 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 well kept secret that literally tens if not hundreds of millions of people know and experience all the time and i think it will give you some peace and i hope you'll give a look at our book and let your friends know if you enjoy it again one last thing whatdreamshavecome.com what dreams have come? you got to accentuate
1: the positive You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life.
0: Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else?
1: Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive. As always, beautiful to be with you again. Well, I'm very excited about today's guest I've had him on the show before, how many years ago, 2013, to discuss the spiritual cinema circle, but today we're going to discuss his new life adventure. Welcome to the show, Stephen Simon.
0: Hi, Karen. It's great to see you.
1: It's wonderful to be with you again, and boy, have you been through an amazing journey in the last few years.
0: I have indeed.
1: (laughs) And it's all in a book. For people that I'm sure lots of people who are listening and watching this uh, have heard of you, know a bit about you, but for those who don't, let me just fill you in on a bit of Stephen's journey. In 1980, Stephen Simon produced the film Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeves, Jane Seymour and Christopher Plummer. In 1998, he produced a movie called What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams and Cuba Gooding, Jr., And on January 3rd, 2018, Stephen's wife and love of his life, Lauren, suddenly passed away in her sleep. She was 54. Six weeks later, Lauren began to communicate with Stephen through the vortex of his heart. And in October of 2018, together, they started writing his self-published book called What Dreams Have Come, Loving Through the Veil. Stephen is the co-founder of the Spiritual Cinema Circle, which started in 2004, 2004, which is where I found you, because I started buying the DVDs. And uh, that finished last year, I heard you say. In 2020, you wrapped that up.
0: It did. Uh, Technology caught up with us.
1: Yeah. Okay. He's also the author of The Forces With You and Bringing Back Old Hollywood, Stephen has an extensive film career producing spiritual films like Indigo and the Conversations with God movie and many more like The Right Moves with Tom Cruise and you were the uh, executive producer on fan favourites like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure with Keanu Reeves. (laughs) I love Keanu Reeves. His (laughs) wife Lauren was a flight attendant with Continental Airlines in her younger years. She was also a clothing designer, a therapist who worked with young women with eating disorders. disorders and she was a Reiki master, an actress and a sought after intuitive who lives on, as we all do, and is still very much part of the evolution of human consciousness in this world, as we'll find out So if you want to know more about the book, we're going to discuss the book today. I could talk about so many topics with Stephen, you know, movies, but we're here to talk about the last couple of years. You can find the book at whatdreamshavecome.com. Okay. Let's talk about the day that Lauren left this world or didn't really leave this world. She just left a body really.
0: Okay. January 3rd, 2018. Um, to give a little background to that, um, Lauren had been a, a, a marathon runner and had been, I mean, the woman was, uh, a rock star when it came to exercise and she just loved it. And she was in incredible, uh, condition in 2016, she started to get ill and weak. And, and we found out that, um, now I've lost my picture here. Can you see yourself uh, now? There it is. I'm back. Yeah, can you see me? Sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that may you. have been
0: Lauren just letting us know that she's here. Um,
1: <laughs> she's here. She's here.
0: <laughs> um, anyway, um, Lauren was uh, diagnosed with uh, stage three uh, thyroid cancer, had two surgeries to remove her thyroid. She had um, iodine radiation treatment to rid herself of the thyroid cancer, which it did, but it destroyed her body. Um, it, she never recovered from the treatment. And she did recover from the thyroid cancer because in October of 2017, the doctor gave her a clean bill of health. On the morning of January 3rd, I went to the gym as I usually did in the early morning, came back. Lauren was usually up by 7.30 or 8. The night before, she had stayed up later than me. Uh, watching television, so I just figured she was sleepy. A little later, I got a little concerned and I went up and I found that she had transitioned in her sleep. And it turned out later, we found out that she had an undiscovered heart arrhythmia. And we were told by the paramedics and the firemen um, that arrived that it was the most peaceful scene they'd ever seen, that She just slipped away in her sleep, which I am told is the way many angels do transition. And Warren was and is not just my angel, but an angel for the world. Her love for me um, and my love for her uh, transcended everything in our lives. Um, We have both brought children into the relationship who we adore and we consider our children I had two very unsuccessful marriages before Lauren. Uh, Lauren had two unsuccessful marriages. I, I didn't meet her until I was almost 57. And unfortunately, we only had 13 years physically together during this lifetime. But we talked a lot about past lives and how many times we had been together. And there were times, and you can read this in the book, there were times when Lauren would channel and she would say, hey, honey, we we really have to design what our afterlife looks like. This is long before she passed. And we we did a very specific vision of it. And Lauren was aware that something was happening. I know she was. I mean, looking back on it, I know she was. But she didn't want to terrify me. And when I found her, um, it broke my heart and it changed my life forever. I will never be that guy anymore. I will not be that guy. I'll have aspects of that guy, but that guy was the happiest guy on the planet and had his forever love physically with him. And she's with me now, as a matter of fact, as you'll see in the book, um, Lauren has quite a sense of humor and uh, always did. Um, And she still has it. Because at one point she said, "Uh, honey, would you please stop telling people you lost me? I mean, I know that that's a wonderful way to phrase it, but I'm still right here. And you know I'm right here. So don't don't tell people you lost me because you're never going to lose me. So that began our conversations. It took about six weeks for her to find a way to be back in touch with me where I knew it was her. And I know I get asked that question a lot. How did I know it was Lauren? My heart knows. My heart knew in the moment because I know how my wife speaks. I know my wife's emotions. I know her heart. And it. people ask me, did you hear her voice? No, I didn't because after Lauren transitioned, she was cremated. Her body no longer exists. That means her voice no longer exists. If I heard her voice, it would worry me. Yeah, um, It probably would have worried my family, but I felt her and, and the best way I can describe it is that I heard her in my heart. Yeah, And we started these conversations. I started making a lot of notes just to journal about it. And fortunately I have dear friends who are very steeped uh, in helping people with grief. My, my dear friend, Neil Donald Walsh, who wrote the Conversations With God books, who is my brother from a different mother, as we call each <laughs> other, was always there for me. Um, a- as I wrote it in, <clears throat> in the book at one point, I called Neil. I was so distraught. I was crying so hard, I couldn't speak. And um, <laughs> inimitably with Neil, he just sat with me. And when I could finally speak, I said to him, Neil, I, I, I really feel like I'm, I'm, I'm out of my mind. And Neil, in his inimitable fashion, said, "Well, that's good, Stephen, because you need to be out of your mind and in your heart." Ah, uh, boy, did that help? And and my dear friends Gay and Katie Hendricks, you know, who are have written so many books about relationships and things like that, they they were all there to help me. But for six weeks, I was a stranger in a very strange land, and I kept trying to make contact with Lauren and. Uh, the exact circumstances uh, we wrote about in the book, and I think people will find it somewhat amusing how it first happened. Um, and that began all those conversations until we had dinner. I had dinner physically with Neil and his wife, M in September of that year. And I, uh, there's a whole chapter in the book about that dinner and um, how the title of the book, the fact that it was going to be a book, the fact that we needed to write it together, how that all came together at that dinner uh, is is again a chapter in the book. It did, we wrote the book and and now it's out there and I've been very gratified by the response. Um, The emails that I've gotten, uh, we give people in the book uh, a private email that they can send to me to share their experiences and I have guaranteed people that I will not share that email with anybody. Um, No one will see it other than me and I keep to my word about that. I've gotten some incredible, incredible contacts from people. And, and then I'll shut up here for a while, because you know, if you, it, <laughs> Frank Sinatra used to have a great line about Sammy Davis Jr. being a ham. And he would say, Sammy goes home at night, opens the refrigerator, the light comes on, he does 20 minutes. Okay? <laughs> that, that, that is kind of what I'm doing here, but there's so much to talk about. I just wanna say this, this one last thing and then I'll be quiet about this. We really wanted to write this book, not to convince anybody of anything. I can't prove any of this scientifically, objectively, don't need to, don't want to. This is for people who, and there are tens of millions of us, who have a dear loved one transition to the other side of the veil and find out that they're still in communication but so many people are afraid of having other people think they're crazy that they don't talk about it well karen i have been a film producer for almost 45 years people know i'm crazy i know i'm crazy so that kind of thing doesn't fear me, you know doesn't intimidate me at all. There is great joy in this. I know that my wife is going to be with me until we reunion on the other side of the veil. And so do millions of other people.
1: Well, getting back to Neil, you know, those books changed my life, absolutely changed my life. That line that he gave you is straight out of the book. In order to know God, you have to be out of your mind. Yeah, in order <laughs> to know God, yeah. you have to be out of your mind and in your heart. And so when people say, what are you talking about? You out of your mind? You say, yeah, I'm out of my mind. I'm in my heart. So that's just a perfect example of uh, what he was talking about, you know, in order to.
0: Contact- and, you know, there are no coincidences. You know, you and I both know there are no coincidences. So mm-hmm. what is Somewhere in Time about? What's it about? <laughs> it's about a man Absolutely. who falls in love with someone who transitioned years before Mm -hmm. and travels back in time to be with her. And at the end, they are both together on the other side of the veil. What is what dreams may come about? It's about a man searching for his wife on the other side of the veil. So it makes to me great sense that I would be given, and Lauren would be given the great honor Of being able to bring a book like this out into the world because it's the continuation of my life and my work and lauren's life and her work and is going to be the last public facing project i ever do the rest of my life is going to be talking about this book going to places to talk about the book and making sure that it's available to people that it will comfort because that that is really the purpose of the book let me
1: ask you, why did you self-publish?
0: Ah, uh, Good question. Um, I, <laughs> when I went through my Bringing Back the Old Hollywood book,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, which is a, a book that Lauren and our kids really wanted me to write about my experiences in Hollywood growing up with Frank Sinatra as my godfather and a number of other things that, that happened to me, I had a dear friend who was the head of the literary department of the William Morris Agency in New York.
1: Mm-hmm. For
0: those who are not familiar with the film industry, if the William Morris Agency at that time, which was 10 years ago, um, was one of the, not the most, if not the preeminent, agency in the United States. And being the head of the literary department, you had a lot of clout. And I happened to know this person. So I called him, and I said I told him what I wrote, and he, he laughed, and he said, well, I want to read it because I just want to see all the crazy things you did, and I'm sure it's wonderful, and I, I, Stephen, we've been friends for a long time. Let me read the book. So we read the book. He called me back. He said, Stephen, this is wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful, and I am going to do everything I can to help you get this book published, but I can tell you right now I'm going to fail, and I'm like okay (laughs) and i said why and he said if your name was steven spielberg we would get this book published and get millions of copies no one knows steven simon and no one's going to publish a book written by a producer that basically unless you love somewhere in time and what dreams may come in a couple no one's ever heard of you and that's exactly what happened i didn't want to go through that again this is also a very very specific book that cannot be edited by somebody that does not have the same experience. And so it became very clear to me right away that the best way for us to do this book would be to self-publish it. We would have complete control of everything that happened with it. And um, I I have to say that self-publishing on Amazon is an amazing thing for authors. And I, I think it's a wonderful thing for readers as well. And they're the only ones that do what they do, how they do it. And I've been very, very, very pleased with how they've handled all of this.
1: Yeah, you know, I've got books that are self-published on Amazon as well. And I speak to authors. You know, I've been doing the show now for about 12 years and showcasing new old teachers for about 20 years uh, that have many self-published books. And you do have to do the legwork. But if you do, you can, yeah, you can get the book out there and, and contacting podcast shows is a way of, uh, of doing the le- And you said that you want to, the rest of your life uh, promoting the book, I'll help you do that. <laughs> but, uh, <yeah.
0: laughs> and I, I very much appreciate that because this is very definitely, I think if people go to the Amazon page for the book, um, we have I think about 126 comments now, um, 86% of them are four star, five star, most of them are five star. And I think people, it's reaching the people that it needs to reach. However, however, and I, I want to say this to you, and I want to say it to your, um, your viewers, your listeners. We really, I hope that you will take a look at the book, and if you respond to it, help us get the word out, because uh, self-published books don't have a lot of advertising budgets behind them, and it's very difficult when you don't have that, you know, best-selling authors, and I know a few of them, um, do a great job of buying sales, because they have the money to buy sales and they have the, the, you know, the network to do that. Well, I'm not in a place to do that. So if, if people enjoy the book, I hope you'll help, help us spread the word.
1: Look, I have a fabulous audience. They're very engaged and everyone that comes on my show, you know, has, has engagement through my audience. They're very engaged, but you know, I know that you said it's in the book, read the book, but I want you to tell the story of what, what happened when you were telling Neil at the, uh,
0: <laughs> come sure. on, tell,
1: it's such a great
0: story. Right. Well, so it is amazing, amazing thing. So we were having dinner in Ashland where Neil lives and I lived in Ashland, Oregon for five years. And um, I now live outside of Portland, Oregon. But um, at that time, uh, a couple of our daughters lived in Ashland. And I went down to visit one of them and then had dinner with Neil and his amazing wife, Em, at one of our favorite restaurants called the Peerless Restaurant attached to a hotel in Ashland. It was September 29th of uh, 2018. The reason that's an important date is because it had not rained in Ashland for months. They were going through a drought. So we had dinner one night and we sat down and I was facing the windows to the street and Neil and M in the booth were across facing me. So at one point I said, you know, Neil, this is really weird, but I'm, I'm beginning to feel like this is going to be a book. At that moment, and people can check the almanac and check records and see what happened in Ashland that night. At that moment, there was a lightning strike that lit up the whole sky outside. And we just went in a huge thunderclap. And we both went like this. And Neil said, and I know what the title should be another lightning strike. And I said, what? And he said, what dreams have come? Another lightning strike. And I said, well, maybe I need to write this book. I mean, this is how it started with conversations with God, another lightning strike. And then I got such a chill uh, because I realized it was Lauren saying, honey, we're going to write this together. And I said, I think Lauren and I need to write this together, right? Another lightning strike, five in a row. Now, everyone's looking outside. We dissolved into hysterical laughter, all three of us. We realized we were not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) And when I went home, Lauren and I spoke and we started the book.
1: It's such a great story. We know we're not in Kansas anymore. Hasn't they got a great sense of humor? Hasn't the universe yeah. got a great sense of humor? It just great
0: sense of humor, and it was so wonderful because Neil Neil has such an ability to process these things. Mm-hmm. He's such a unique and wonderful human being, and he just got it. And when I heard what dreams have come, it was like, yeah, that, that's what it has to be called.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I want I'm going to ask you a favor on camera. <laughs> you got to get Neil on my show. I've been dancing with his PA and I just get brushed off all the time. I'm like, how do you contact Neil Donald Walsh? Anyway. You know,
0: I, I, Karen, I will ask him. Um, he <laughs> is doing, I will, I'll ask him.
1: I know, um, he does a lot. He do, And that's what the emails say. No, no, he's too
0: busy. He's he too busy. does and he's really trying to gear back.
1: Right. You know, he's okay.
0: had a lot of years of, of, of traveling. Uh, I always kid Neil because... You know, I, I think Conversations with God, the first book was published 91, 92, something like mm. that in that area, 91, 92, 93, which is 30 years ago. And I keep saying, you're the only person I know whose 15 minutes of fame has lasted 30 years.
1: Right. And isn't that fantastic? You know, like it's not.
0: Oh, it, it is fantastic, but he's, he's tired. Oh, <laughs> you I know. know. He's
1: tired. He he's, looks tired Lord,
0: too. He's been doing this forever now oh, and he, he's
1: I know. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's a long, but, I will but this is what we signed up for, right? I mean, we're going to discuss this, but this is what we signed up for. We think we're humans. We think that we're having, you know, that you're a guy, I'm a woman We're this age, we do, we've done this stuff in our life, but really we're spiritual beings who have come to this world to uh, fulfill a plan and, you know, it's all part of the plan, right? And then we can complain about it. I complain about it all the time. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm getting old, you know, but you said you'd do it. You said you'd have the plan. I can't tell you, I've got so, so many stories about that. I had a woman on the show who was blown up in a bomb blast in Iraq. And um, when she's on the other side in her NDE, she's like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm not going back. And they said, well... Let me just um, let me just show you the agreement that you had. It's like, oh, okay, I'm going back. And her agreement was to write this book, you know, and and change the world, which is like the agreement. Oh, okay, I want to discuss you and Lauren. I
0: actually just to jump in here. I, I, I believe that this is part of the agreement that Lauren and I had. You know, exactly. that yeah. I, I certainly have thought a lot about this. Right. These last three and a half years, which when I say three and a half years, it sometimes it seems like three months and sometimes it seems like 30 years. So time has completely lost all its meaning to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I, I'm kind of really lost in that somewhere in time, bad pun, but true. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about how this was going to work and how we could actually touch people and how we could describe what's going on with us. And I'm completely convinced that part of our deal, because certainly one of the things that I wondered about a lot, why the hell am I still here? I'm 75. I've run my race. I've done the things that I really came here to do. I love our kids. I love our grandkids. I'm, there's no way in the world I would ever do anything to do away with myself. you know. <laughs> when, when the police and the firemen showed up that day after I found Lauren and I was... I don't remember much of that day because according to my family, I basically cried all day. But I guess when I had called 911, I was completely hysterical. And I had to ask later what I said because I didn't remember it. But evidently I said enough that the 911 operator called the fire department to get them up and then immediately called the police and said, if you guys don't get up there, there might be two fatalities up there. You gotta wow. keep an eye on this guy. Wow. I, and I've never said I'm gonna kill myself, that I know I, I didn't say. But they showed up and then <laughs> they were being very respectful and my one of our daughters, Heather, who's one of the more outgoing of our daughters, we have four adult daughters and an adult son, um, went up to them and said, what, what's up guys? And they said, are you family? And she said, yes, it's my dad. And uh, she said the policeman was really kind and put his arm around her and said, "Look, the 911 operator said he sounded desperate and said he just didn't know how he could live without his wife. Mm-hmm. And does he have any weapons in the house?" And she interrupted him and she said, "Hey, my dad produced a movie called What Dreams May Come. There is no chance he would ever take his own life. Okay?" And she's right, I wouldn't. But in those moments, in those scary moments that happened during that time, we don't really know what's happening. And it took me a long time to realize this would only work with me being here and her on the other side. She's happy, she's content, she's doing her angel thing. She's here a lot and a lot she's not here. There's never a moment when I ask, honey, I really need to be with you, I need to talk to you, there is a tell. And I I say this, I'm talking about some detail, not just because it's about us, because I know there are people who are listening and watching this who are saying, yeah, my husband and I, my wife and I, my daughter and I, my son and I, my father and I, we have a tell too. So Lauren and I have a tell, which I'm not going to discuss and never have and never will, that lets me know that she, her energy is present. And it has changed everything for me. And um, I now know she's going to be here with me for the rest of this physical life. And um, <laughs> as a dear friend of ours, who's also an amazing intuitive said, she's not just going to be on the other side of the veil, Steven, you know, Lauren, when the time comes, let's just assume you're in a bed somewhere she is going to be sitting over you or standing over you, grabbing you by the pajamas saying, honey, let's go. And I look forward to that. But it'll happen at the time that our souls determined it would be. We are interwoven souls. So whatever that time is, it will be. And it could be tonight. And it could be 20 years from now. I have to say, I really hope it's not tonight. And I really hope it's not 20 years from now. (laughs) somewhere in between
1: yeah well you've got work to do you got you you've still got work to do uh okay there's so much I want to say to this I want to go back to your connection with her because you talked about I communicate with her through the you know through my heart and mm-hmm. we were talking about I've got a, a group that meets every week and uh I teach and we have I, I invite people from my show who come and teach and we had Sue Walker on this week and we we were talking about telepathy and uh, psychic ability. So I work as a psychic as well and a channel and a medium. And we were talking about energy signatures. So the first time, like when you, how do you know you're communicating with someone? If you're, if you're, if you're extending your consciousness out to telepathically communicate or remote view or whatever, what is it? How do you know you've got the identity of something or someone there is an energy signature and As people, we are experiencing that energy signature, but we don't realize until they're not in our presence and then we experience it again. They can be on the other side of the world, on the other side of the house, it doesn't matter, or in the other realm, that we feel it. And I think that that's what you felt because when my mother died when I was 16, in my 20s, 30s, 30s, 2000, it was the year 2000, I um, was in the shower and she came to me And I said, look, I'm too busy. I can't talk right now. I've got to go away. (laughs) She gave me her energy signature. And I didn't understand that it was an energy signature at the time. But all I can tell you is that when I opened my eyes to like get rid of the vision that I had, I felt her like she was in the room with me, like I felt her. Like, I just went, oh, she'd been dead 20 years at that stage. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. It was like she was standing next to me. And and I can only, and we were discussing this, I can only say that it was like an energy. It was a recognition of that, of her energy. But it felt like her presence. Yeah. And I think that that's what you're talking about when you
0: connect. Well, I will tell you, from this point forward, Mm -hmm. I am going to refer to that as an energy signature.
1: There you go. As
0: per energy signature. And as much as I can, remember now, I'm 75. My mind is not exactly what it was when I was 45, okay? But I will, as much as I can remember, give you credit for that. Because <laughs> I, as my dear friend Karen Swain said, it's an energy signature. Because that is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant description of what it is. It is the best description that I can think of. Yeah. And you know
1: what's crazy is that we're experiencing that when we're with someone, but we don't understand that we are because we're saying, "I'm looking at you, I'm listening to you," you know like we don't understand that we're actually feeling this identity but so um yeah so what do I, what do I say about that Welcome to. Normal. <laughs> when well, I, I, read
0: a, I read a meme that, about that I, I want to share with you because I'm sure you'll relate to it. Mm-hmm. Somebody put this meme on Facebook. My ability to remember song lyrics from the 1980s greatly exceeds my ability to remember why I just walked into the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> Oh, don't I my think my biggest moment with that is that one day I couldn't find my sunglasses in real and found that they were in the freezer. <laughs> so I hear you.
1: Oh, look what I want to say to you is seventy-five is still young, Stephen. I, I get like I've been watching because I haven't read the book, but I've been watching I've been looking for, you know, your podcasts to see I'm like, what are you talking about? And um and I really feel that you you're hankering to like be with her again. On the other side and you, you're quite looking forward to transitioning but I still think you
0: have no, but, but not not until it's not until it's the time that my soul our interwoven souls that if for people that are not familiar with that expression interwoven souls are separate souls but your your destiny and your energy has become so intertwined that there is a deep connection not only between the two of you but between your souls Mm. and um lauren and i knew from the minute we met literally from the minute we met i mean i i met her in a in the lobby of a movie theater and i i took one look at her and she we talked and laughed about this later and i was just lost and one of the first thoughts that came into my mind was "Ah, I found her and Lauren told me later she went home and called her surrogate mom and said to her Peggy I found him so we knew from the get-go that this is what we had done and we joked a lot about it that for our higher selves to get us to this little obscure movie theater in Gresham, Oregon, where neither Lauren and I had ever been before. In the community, we'd never been there before. Lauren, twice when she was riding to the theater, was a, almost turned around because she was like, why am I going to this? And I really resisted doing it in the first place. So the fact that we met that, my, we, we said to get us together, our souls deserve a month in Tahiti and we won't bother them.
1: I love that story. I was hoping that you would tell that story. I was just going to say, tell us the story of how you met. Uh, you know, I, I, as I think about that story, I think it takes that kind of love to do what you're doing now, really. I mean, psychic ability is all about raising your vibe because they exist, we exist, we exist in a realm of pure positive energy before we, you know, come into this third dimensional world. And in order to connect and communicate with that, we have to raise our vibe. You know, we have to try and acclimate to that frequency. And it takes that kind of love, that love. I mean, you call it romantic love or personal love, but it's love is love is love, right? Love is love. You've been making movies about it, spiritual cinema, so it's all about love. So maybe it takes that sort of love for you to do what you're doing now and and for you to have that communication with her.
0: Oh, I do There's no question that this was part of the plan of this lifetime. Mm -hmm. Part of the plan of this lifetime. When you talk about the universe having a sense of humor,
1: um,
0: I have to tell you, because this is one of my my favorite stories about that. So in 2011, uh, November 3rd of 2011, I had a heart attack. Um, My heart stopped four times, Um, twice in the house, once in the ambulance, and once on the way into the operating room. Um, There's a lot of stuff about that in the book, so I'm not going to go into that, because that's part of Lauren's background. And Lauren wrote a book for caregivers um, called When You Feel Like Strangling the Patient. (laughs) Guess who the patient was? (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Anyway. That's not the aspect I want to talk about. So you talked about the Spiritual Cinema Circle. For people who are not aware of that, for 16 years with the circle, we sent out a feature and three shorts that were spiritually, emotionally uplifting to our subscribers. So we sent out almost 800 films, and we did them every month, a feature and three shorts. I had this heart attack on the night of November 3rd. On the morning of November 4th, after I was in the hospital and after surgery, I realized that that day, November 3rd, that day was the day we always mailed out that month's movies. And the feature film for that month was called Listen to Your Heart. (laughs) You know, sometimes the universe has to use a two by four you know, Absolutely. if you don't get the subtle stuff, yeah. get the, and and I got the whack. Stephen, listen to your heart. So okay, I know. From now Fled- on, I will.
1: I, I call them sledgehammer moments. Whack by two sledgehammer. I was watching the spiritual cinema circle when that happened. So I remember getting the DVD. Uh, you know, a couple of months after that, and you discussing that on the spiritual cinema circle, and you had looked. You looked so different because. Not that you were overweight, but you're a little bit chubbier. And, and then when you had sort of had the heart attack, you you'd turned your life around, you'd started exercising, you dropped weight, you looked healthier, you're glowing, you looked less stressed. And I was watching the transformation of Stephen Simon on the spiritual listen to your heart. Yeah, Yeah. so... I, well, I, I, you know, it, it's...
0: When, when. Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say, I would imagine that when you and Lauren were discussing how you would get this message out, about, you know, the other side, communication, the other side, the two of you thought it was going to be you from the other side. And there was a plot twist, right? Plot twist.
0: (laughs) I think that's probably a fair way to put it. Yes, that's probably a very fair way to put it. Um, It's very interesting having this kind of communication um, through the veil, because there are There are things that I'm very careful I do not discuss with Lauren because even though I don't know the quote rules unquote specifically about the change in, 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 in what it's like when you go through the veil and your other side of the veil, I do know that there are certain things that she cannot communicate to me. Like what? And I'm, I try to be respectful of that. When am I going to die?
1: Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: what's going to happen? What is this going to be? What should I do about that? You know, etc. And I, I'm very. What, what happens with, with this? Did you? Did? And I, I realize that that it's inappropriate. That. It is something that I don't feel comfortable with because I don't want to put Lauren in any kind of situation that isn't going to be totally natural for her, even though she assures me I'm incapable of doing that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. With I that. just don't want to do that, you know? I, I, and also because, you know, in, in what in what dreams may come, we made a very big point. And I, I want to make this, this as a point because I know it's a controversial point with some people. In What Dreams May Come, we were very, very careful to say that the experience that Chris, the character played by Robin Williams, and uh, Annie, played by um, Annabella Sciorra, um, the experience they're having is not a universal experience. This is their experience. He went into a world of wet paint because that's what his soul felt would be the most comfortable way for him to transition because he loved his wife's paintings. His wife was a curator at a museum. It was a connection between the two of them. And what we are experiencing is unique to us. Now, the communication is not, but the way we experience each other and how we envision what it is going to be like when we're together, is going to, I believe, be different for everybody according to their belief system. And I know Oprah once famously said there are, um, there are a lot of pathways to God. And um, it is something that I feel as well, and I know that Lauren does as well, that everyone has their own definition of God, goddess, all it is, Allah, whatever you want to call it heaven, the afterlife, whatever you want to say, your beliefs inform that. Yeah, and absolutely. I really respect all of those beliefs. So another reason we don't talk about that a lot is because this is a very specific experience to us. And I believe that everyone has their own. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But surely you quiz her when you've, found yourself talking to her like what's it like to die what did you experience what happened first did you were you in the room with me when i found you didn't you ask her all those questions i know i would have
0: no because i because actually i know those answers and I, I i can't tell you how i know but i know now um that's not entirely fair um do you know allison dubois yeah okay so allison's a very dear friend and um, Alison and I have talked about this quite a lot. But so just tell people um, and,
1: who she is that don't know.
0: All right. If, if anybody remembers, of course, now I'm not sure this actually played in Australia, but. Oh, it absolutely
1: um, did. it did?
0: Or, yeah. So um, uh, Medium mm. was the name of a television show uh, that was very successful for many years that was about Allison's life as an intuitive and connecting with people to help solve murders. Um, She's an amazing, amazing woman. And I, at one point we were talking and I had not met her husband and I said, what does he do? And she said, he's a rocket scientist. And I thought, oh, you mean he's really smart? And she said, no, Stephen, he's actually a rocket scientist. He's designing things for NASA, Um, which he is. Um, She's an amazing woman. And then there's another amazing woman whose name I won't use because she hates it. Um, who has been a world-class intuitive for 50 years, um, they have both, even before I was in contact with Lauren, Peggy did, Allison did it later, um, basically let me know what that experience was like for her. And I just have never felt a need to ask her um, because I, I already know. Would
1: you like to share it with us?
0: Um, I can share part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of it was she was very, very, very disoriented. Um, When she got to the other side, she actually thought she was still dreaming. She was not at all conscious of having transitioned because she went to sleep and then say she woke up and it's probably not the right phrase but she (laughs) then she's on the other side and um, when she got oriented um, first thing she asked about was me and the kids how are they how are they dealing with this anyway Um, you know, uh, as you well know, um, grief comes back when you least expect it. And, um, those moments, they overtake you. And I I firmly believe that if we don't let our emotions out, when that happens, that we're asking for some serious potential health problems and other problems because you can't keep that stuff inside and um i don't like to think a lot about that day um i do my best not to and we went over that chapter in the book about it a lot and at one point i just said honey i can't do it anymore i i can't i cannot read this chapter anymore we got to be done so anyway that that is what i feel comfortable i can tell you about the experience
1: yeah it's interesting isn't it how you wake up dead and you don't know you're dead I hear that so often Uh, I hear that so often and my best friend committed suicide when she was 36 and I used to go to sleep at night and wake up she'd be sitting on the end of my bed and we'd chat talk about life after death and uh, it was an interesting experience because uh, I knew I was not in my physical body and yet I was experiencing her viscerally and touching her like I felt her, like she was solid. And I remember saying, "How? why is it that I'm feeling you like you're solid? And, um, you know, I can touch you and hug you. And people say, I can't touch them and hug them anymore. And I'm like, yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, you, can. <laughs> you just have to be
0: um, in another now, body. That's one of the things I'm not going to I'm not going to go into great detail about that one, but boy, do I agree. I mean, you know, Lauren still hugs me. Yeah. And I feel it. I feel the energy. Yeah. Now I'm also very aware of the fact that, um, no, I'm not gonna go into that detail. Okay. I just have to be very good. I'm very careful here about saying things I, that I don't want to put I don't wanna put words in war in Lauren's mouth, so to speak. Um I'm just gonna leave it at that.
1: Yeah, you know, what I wanna say to you is uh this is a topic that I speak about a lot on the show. I have a book called awakened by death, where I've showcased many people's spiritual awakening through the death experience. Not that yours was an awakening through the death experience because you were already awake. I suppose it was a deepening through the death experience with you, but you know, for me it was Mum transitioning and her coming to me in dreams. And she kept telling me she didn't die and she did that so often. And I'd wake up in the morning, just thinking I'd had a dream. It's like, (laughs) <laughs> but um, yeah that there is no death and you know i've got sandra champlain in the book who was a skeptic about the afterlife and she started investigating it and uh, she started a podcast show i'll introduce you you can share your story on her her show she wrote a uh, she's got a chapter in the book all these amazing people talking about their experiences elisa med whose whose son shot himself when he was 20 about 10 years ago and she was brought up by militant atheists she was a doctor medical doctor and she had to look at the afterlife through through the scientific mind because she couldn't you know she couldn't tell it talking to a medium that was just too woo-woo and now she has a show speaking to hundreds of thousands of people she has mediums on every week that are talking interviewing people in the afterlife Stephen, (laughs) have you seen do you know rich martini
0: i know the name i do not know him no
1: I'll introduce you to him too. So he does the same thing. He does it with mediums. He interviews people in the afterlife. One of them was Robert Williams. Uh, yeah, you know, what's your afterlife like? He's got a book called Hacking the Afterlife. It's fabulous. Anyway, I'll, I'll
0: I'm not it. sure any of us want to know what Robin's afterlife is like.
1: <laughs> oh, he's just as funny. I had a I had a chat with him too because I was perplexed. Like, why? And I asked him, and he came and told me. And I'm like, oh, okay, that totally makes sense. As, as humans, we get so upset about this death thing, and there is no death. <laughs> there is no death.
0: I tell you and what. Robin, my- Robin is an, inc- an incredibly smart human being when Absolutely. he was here. I mean, I a really, a, you know, like with many comics who, who appear to be, you know, funny men, funny women. Mm -hmm. Um, stage, they are often the most serious people, which is why so many of them, going back to Jackie Gleason, Jim Carrey, I mean, you can go through this list, wind up being really good dramatic actors. Right. And, um, Robin's a very serious guy, was incredibly well-read, had a fascinating, curious mind. And I remember when we offered him the film.
1: Yeah.
0: Um... (laughs) And we got word back that he wanted to meet with us, the director and I. So we flew to San Francisco thinking, oh my goodness, this is a very expensive movie and we really need Robin. We really need him. Hopefully we can talk him into this. Robin walked into the room, said, hey guys, I just want to let you know, this is going to be my next movie and I'm going to play all the parts. (laughs) that's who Robin was as a human being <laughs> funny man
1: oh yeah absolutely uh, I've lost my train of thought but what I wanted to say to you was one of my favorite guests on the show is a doctor New York doctor celebrated New York doctor holistic doctor in New York called Dr. Leo Gallen, and he had a um, disabled mentally disabled son who died when he was about 23 I think And that was like 25 years ago. And he released a book a couple of years ago because Christopher, who is his son, started talking to him from the afterlife, much like Lauren. And, of course, Dr. Leo Gallen, who's this this celebrated doctor, was not going to release a book saying, I'm talking to my dead son. (laughs) Anyway, so it took him about 23 years to do that, and he did. He released the book. And it's a tiny little book. At what Christopher says from the afterlife, and 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 Leo quizzes him about all sorts of things, and the book is called Already Here. So
0: ah, wonderful title.
1: So he was talking about. He said, you know, Dad, you and I often talk about you, Leo, the doctor, Leo, when you're, you you know, when you're. It's not when you're here. hard to talk about this because it's not linear time as you know yes but i know we often talk about you and you know how you get so serious and you have just got to lighten up and stuff like that and he said what do you mean we often talk about you and he said dad you're already here there's not yeah. there and here there's not when i die we'll be together and this is the message of the book and i just want to bring that message to you too because we we think that we like, like Lauren said uh what did she say you said it before don't tell people you have lost me because I'm right here you know yeah. like you and you're already together on the other side and you well, and,
0: and she has she's actually that's in the book actually there's a oh, moment okay. when there's a moment when um, we were I, actually talking about that aspect and and how I was like you know, you just have to be there, sweetie, and you've got to be the one that that brings me through. And she said, sweetheart, I've already experienced that reunion. Yes. And it's more beautiful than you even think it is. And that that encourages me because there is no time. You know, I think your friend who wrote this book, the books you've written, books other people have written, um, with the book that we've written and the many books that will come after, this is a time in which the veil is thinning.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's thinning. There are, where before it may have seemed to be uh, impenetrable, um, it's not so much impenetrable anymore. And um, we have a chapter about this in the book, which probably should be its own book, but um, I'm not gonna write it because I'm not expert enough about it. But we talk about reality Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and what is supposedly reality Mm -hmm. and the biggest thing the last five to eight years in the entire field of quantum physics is is this a simulation we're living in is this real or are we just having an experience that originates someplace else I find that discussion fascinating. I mean, absolutely fascinating. And there are a couple of movies that deal with that very directly, the most famous of which are the Matrix movies. Right. Because the Matrix movies just lay it out. Right. Lay it out. But there's a, a, a very obscure movie called The 13th Floor that if you haven't seen, I heartily recommend.
1: Because it deals that
0: with that down. in a very direct way. And it's fascinating. It's when just fascinating. So that- I, I think, I'm sorry.
1: When was that released? The 13th Floor. Got to check that out.
0: Oh boy. Uh, probably 20 years ago.
1: Oh, okay. So it's not a recent one.
0: Probably no. 20, 25 years ago. Uh, not many people know of it. It is a really interesting film film. Um, and when you get to the last act, your jaw is often open because it's like, holy mackerel. How did they get this made? I, I, how in the world did they get anybody to make this movie? And there's another wonderful love story with uh, Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the, the Adjustment Bureau. Yeah. It's a terrible title. Horrible title. Yeah. Dreadful title. Great film. It's about a lot of that as well. It's a wonderful love story. I, I heartily recommend that movie to people. And you know, at the end of our book, we have a we have a section at the end of the book where we talk about a lot of the films that inspired us that talk about these these issues. Right. Um, and it part of one of them is a, a film that I loved from the time I was ten years old, and I have no idea why. The original version of Lost Horizon.
1: Right.
0: And um, did you ever see Lost Horizon?
1: I can't recall. I probably have, but I can't recall it.
0: Okay, so Lost Horizon was one of Frank Capra's most beloved films. Um, It's about a a, a man, a British politician, who is um, in a plane crash in Tibet uh, that turns out to have been intentional because he is brought to a valley where uh, time stopped a long time ago, and uh, it's run by a 200-year-old llama. It's an amazing, amazing movie. At the end of the movie, he is convinced to leave the woman he loves, who he has found in Shangri-La. That's where the word Shangri-La comes from. It comes from that film. Wow. And he leaves, and everyone in his party is killed. Um, He leaves only because of his brother. And the end of the film is a desperate search through the mountains of Tibet to get back to his love. And it's the way we end our book as well. Um, Because the rest of my life, I am going to feel very much like Robert Conway going up that mountain, looking for that valley. And I know someday I'll find it.
1: Yeah. And you've already found it, like Lauren said. Yeah. You've already, it's already happened. Is it? Okay, this is how I see life, because I've been investigating this, you know, for a long time, and you're a movie producer, so you'll really get this, you know, we talk about living our lives in this linear fashion, and that's how we experience it, and uh, I've heard you talk on other shows about, you know, planning our life, and, um, and then we die, and we discuss the next life, and then we come back into the next life, and we've planned it, and it feels like it's linear like we die and then then we think back on what we've lived. and we But actually when we insert ourselves into the earth experience, we do throw in one go through all time and space. Why we say, like we say, I'm going to come down at the dinosaurs and the time of Atlantis and the 1500s and the 2000s and the 3000, like we do it through all time and space. And the only way I can think about Simon, you'll understand this is it's like a storyboard. You know, when you're making a movie, you create the storyboard. So all created and then there are plot twists and there are probables. We could do this. You could change it. And then as you're making the movie, it happens in linear time. So this is like you experience it in linear time, but it's all laid out before you come.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that's the second thing I'm going to steal from you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always going to give you credit. I promise you I will try. I'm going to try to give you credit. But you're right. For people who don't know what a storyboard is, when, when you're designing a film, um, a director and a production designer will get together, along with the cinematographer, and they will, on big boards, will sketch out each camera angle. So that they, they have to do that to know how many shots you're going to get in a day, how many days it's going to take you to shoot it. So the entire movie is put into these little boxes, usually drawn by the director or the or the production designer. And you do have the whole movie in front of you before you, before you start. Then the movie starts and um, somebody said, um, what is it? Oh, Mike Tyson said, you go into every fight with a plan and it always changes the first time you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> 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 and um and it, you go out and but you don't make really that movie you make something like that movie god right. this is great karen yeah. thank you for this because you 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 go out and you do that and then you have a script but you don't quite make that script because right. the actors listen and then it goes to the editor and it becomes a whole different movie <laughs> so you make the movie several different times right and that's our a- great description. You start with a storyboard. Yeah. I love that. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. And, and I think that I just want to say to you, Stephen, I so, so honor you. I'm going to cry and I've been trying to sort of not say this because I'm going to cry because I understand media. You know, I I went on my radio show because I did a healing course and understood how media creates different brain patterns and brain waves and how it puts us into like an alpha theta brain wave, which makes us very susceptible to information. It bypasses the logical mind, goes straight into the subconscious programming and how media can hypnotize us into believing who we are and what the world's about. And as we believe it, we create it, right? It's such an important way of the way we create our world. And you have been, you know, such a big part in creating conscious media, you know with the spiritual cinema circle and um and the movies that you've made it's so important and i often see how um you know i often wonder why there isn't more conscious media out there why movies are so based in <laughs> negative stories so based in negative stories but it's such a
0: great uh, analogy we could do a whole other hour on that but why but- that does not happen
1: I know, I know. I, I've often thought about it and you've got more insight into it than me. And I think it's a money thing. It's a money thing. But um, but uh, what, what do I want to say? Um, oh, I've lost my train of thought now. I'm sorry, I shouldn't
0: have interrupted you. <laughs> I, I apologize.
1: But yeah, so so making movies is such an incredible analogy for the way that life actually works from a spiritual perspective. I remember sitting in a cinema, Uh, I don't know if I was alone, it was years ago, and looking up and seeing this white light coming from the projection room. And as I looked up and I saw this white light that was moving, it created these pictures on screen that I was emotionally engaged in. And I just thought to myself, oh, this is how life works. Mm
0: -hmm. Like
1: this white light, that white light contains all the spectrum, right? Is creating this this movie that we're engaged in called life, and it's so the, the the you know films and movies are such a great analogy for how we live as spiritual beings having this physical experience and uh, yeah. So you've
0: you always, know, if you remember, with the spiritual cinema circle, <laughs> do you remember the logo we used to have at the beginning of every at the beginning of every disc?
1: Whoa, because yeah, it was very way.
0: consciously created. The logo is of a shaman standing around a campfire. It's animated.
1: Uh-huh, yeah. Standing around yeah. a campfire, yep, yep,
0: yep. relating the stories of his culture. And at some point, that the shaman becomes a butterfly who then lands on a branch and drops uh, one drop of water into a pond and the ripples go out forever
1: right.
0: um, because it has been always been my feeling that filmmakers are in many ways the modern day shamans
1: oh yeah
0: because they create things um, that engage you in a way <clears throat> excuse me that shamans used to do, when they would talk to their tribe and pass down the culture and the stories and the, that is what filmmaking can be when it operates at our very, at its very best I don't I'm not as familiar with the Australian film industry as I am with the u.s film industry, but I can tell you in the US that I, I feel that that light has dimmed a great deal um, Do you know who Bill Maher is No the comedian Bill Maher. all right well he, I don't need to go into the details of Bill Maher, but Bill Maher at one point did this rant about Hollywood this year and the movies that were nominated for Academy Awards. And he said, among the things he said was, Have you guys forgotten how to make a movie that doesn't make me want to take a bath with a toaster? isn't that a great line and it's so true and and this is a much longer conversation that we don't have time for but because the movie business now in its heyday the movie business was run by movie people people who had been making movies basically since movies were created they the studios were run by people who lived, ate, and breathed the movie business and knew actors and knew how to take chances and knew how to make movies for all kinds of audiences. None of the studios anymore are run by movie people. They're run by business people. And um, a dear friend of mine who is now passed on, named Tom Pollack, ran Universal for many years. And he made a movie called Junior, which was a huge success. It was um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito playing brothers. It's a comedy, it was a big hit. Years later, he made a movie with both of them um, called Junior. That was a horrible failure because Arnold played the world's first pregnant man. Terrible idea for a movie. And I one night I was having dinner with Tom and I said, what the hell was wrong with you? How in the world did you make that movie? And he said, this is why you're a producer and not a studio executive. Stephen, I'm protected if I make a movie with Arnold and Danny after after the, the, the first movie was such a big hit. Because Junior failed, but I could say, hey, it worked with them the first time. I have something to hang my hat on. If I do something original and it doesn't work, it's my head. Well, this is unfortunately what's happened. Fortunately, however, places like Netflix, in particular Netflix, are giving great creative freedom to the people they make movies with. Um, They kind of have to because of the amount of money they spend on movies every year. You know, they can't get in there and get details on hundreds if not thousands of movies that they do. And people go there for the creative freedom and for HBO and for Showtime and things like that. The great dramas are no longer in movie theaters, they're on streaming services. So things are changing. I hope that the movie business will remember that it boomed and became a successful business during the depression. And it was really one of the only businesses that did thrive during the depression because people were looking for places to laugh and feel good about themselves. That's what people are looking for today as much as they were looking then at this whole pandemic thing and everything that's happened politically in the world, all these things. People want to laugh again. They want to be touched again. They want to see love stories again. They want to feel moved again positively. You know, they don't want to see these depressing movies where people are living more dangerous and upsetting lives than than the than the audience is, that's not what people are looking to see today. So hopefully, eventually, that will change again. Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely. The great awakening uh, as we go through this global crisis and people awaken, yeah, they'll want to they'll want to explore through through film through cinema some of the experiences they're having like you had you would you did the opposite way you did the cinema first and then had the experience but <laughs> when people have their ndes or their spiritually transformative experiences or they're talking to dead relatives or et life or they start channeling it's beautiful to have that confirmation to see it on a film that is in the mainstream like it's all over the internet and podcast shows and stuff but it's it's amazing to see your experience on a netflix series or you know, without mm-hmm. you having to be some superhero and you're fighting the car chases and, the you know, the whole Hollywood drama, there is enough drama in life just in the spiritual awakenings that, that can be explored through cinema. And I, I just don't understand why it hasn't until now. I'm thinking that that will change.
0: I yeah, I hope so. Change.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you'll be, you'll be involved in it. I know you say that you're just going to, you know, re- live the rest of your life promoting the book, but I can see you being involved in the in the in the media world in the cinema world for for eons of time, you know. Well, you-
0: Karen, it's really been fun talking to you. I hear Lauren calling me. I think I have to jump off now because you're talking about me being around here for a all- no, I'm kidding you. Um, I hope you're wrong.
1: <laughs> no, no, I mean, you're going to be involved while you're here physically, but while when you're not here physically as well. I, I mean, just, just because you're not in your body doesn't mean you can't still be involved in this life, as you well know.
0: And we will be. We will be um, from the other side and we've we've basically let our kids know that yeah um that you know you got to keep an eye out for us and it's interesting because a couple of our 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 kids are very into this and a couple of them are very skeptical and very skeptical and it's okay you know i mean listen when i was 22 23 24 25 I I was I had no interest in this stuff at all, except in watching, you know, a couple of movies that I loved when I was younger. It took me a while to come to this. You know, Mm -hmm. it took me reading the book that Somewhere in Time was based on. The book was called Did Time Return. When I read that book, then I knew I got to get into the movie business and make this movie. This is going to be my first one. I know I have to do this. But I was 30 when that happened. And Richard Matheson, who wrote Somewhere in Time and, excuse me, What Dreams May Come, was my spiritual mentor. And he was the one that introduced me to spirituality.
1: I know. I've heard you say that you're not going to make this book, Where Dreams Have Come, you're not going to make it into a movie.
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, No one could ever play Lauren. And I'm afraid the only actor that I would accept to play me might not have any interest, and that's Hugh Jackman. Why you? Why you? I think he's probably one of the most attractive men in the world, and if you had a choice, wouldn't why wouldn't you want Hugh Jackman to play you?
1: I <laughs> think that's the thing. I've got a bug there, like. There are so few, movie, you know. There's so many movies made about real people, and the actors are always so much better looking than the real people. And I think to myself, why can't you get actors that look the same as the real people that aren't Hollywood? Well, we do.
0: They're they're called yeah. character actors. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, we do. Um, the Hugh Jackman thing actually comes from, and this is in the book, <clears throat> when a dear friend of mine named Sean, who um, when he first met Lauren. Um, we were at a big conference at a hotel in LA. And um, he met her, they talked for a while, Lauren came to join me at that. And at one point he said, can I borrow your husband for a minute? And she said, sure. So we walked out in the hall and he put his arm around me, walked down the hall and I already knew, cause Sean is the funniest human being I've ever known. I knew something was coming. And he said, I just want to tell you one thing, never let this woman out in public without a football helmet on. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, go ahead, hit me with it. I know it's coming. And she, he, I said, why? And he said, because you don't want her to fall down, hit her head and realize that you're really not Hugh Jackman. Because the only way you could have gotten this woman to marry you was to fool her that way. <laughs> so that's where the whole Hugh Jackman thing came up.
1: Oh, he's pretty gorgeous, Hugh Jackman. And he's an Aussie. Yay. He's an Aussie. All right, darling one. I think we'll leave it there. There's so many things I could ask you. We could have a, a, a longer conversation. Yeah,
0: let's do it again. Let's yeah. do
1: it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. But uh, the book sounds amazing. I haven't read it yet. I don't have time to read all the books of all the people. I've I've done two shows this week and a and a and a group. Anyway, busy, busy, busy. But um, yeah. But I I look I look forward to seeing it made into a movie. I, even if you think you can't find anyone to play Lauren Thank and you. you. I still think it would be a great movie. I think that many of the books that I promote
0: on the shows would be amazing movies. You know? I'm hey, you great. know what? Here's, what here, here's where I would be okay with the movie. It happens after I've transitioned and I'm with Lauren and at the very end of the movie, we make a cameo appearance.
1: <laughs> Why not?
0: <laughs> then then I'll consider it.
1: You know, there's you know, so
0: I love this was so much fun Karen you are so much fun to talk to and I, I'm very grateful to you thank you um, I want to say to people that um, you're seeing the professional Stephen grief is still with me um, there's rarely a day no there's never a day That there is some kind of tearful moment about something I remember can be tears of gratitude and tears of joy. Um, I know how painful it is to lose someone, (laughs) to lose to have someone you love transition to the other side. And I want you to know that we wrote this book for you, and I hope it will give you some peace. And I hope it will give you some hope. And more than anything else, I hope it will give you the courage to discuss your own experience with me. I hope you'll be in touch with me, but with your family and with your friends. Because this is a very, very, very well-kept secret that Literally tens, if not hundreds of millions of people know and experience all the time. And I think it will give you some peace. And I hope you'll give a look at our book and let your friends know if you enjoy it. Again, uh, one last thing, whatdreamshavecome.com. What Dreams May Come Have Come. You can find out more about the book and the link to Amazon is there.
1: Stephen, Simon, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today.
0: Thank you so much, Karen. Energy signature.
1: Energy Signature.
0: Energy Signature. Thank you.
1: Oh, what a beautiful conversation with Stephen Simon. We had an even more beautiful conversation when I turned off the recording. I wanted to address a couple of things with him, chat to him about a few things. Anyway, we said we'd do it again and we'd get deeper into it because there's a lot of stuff that I didn't say or ask him. But I didn't think He was ready to sort of say that sort of stuff on publicly, but I did chat to him about it personally. And uh, he's still quite, as you can see, still quite raw with the grief thing. I wanted to address the grief thing, but I wanted to do that privately uh, rather than publicly, even though it would be a benefit to everybody. um, I always call grief a deep dive into our subconscious programming. And one of the beliefs that, well, the belief that causes the most amount of grief in our world is that feeling of loss and that you cannot have what you believe that you've lost. It cannot return. So we believe that it's a physical person that we've lost. And as Stephen said, he said said afterwards and he said on many podcast shows, you know, I miss holding her hand, I miss sitting there staring at her for hours. I you know, I miss her physicalness. I miss her presence. I miss her physical presence. And there is a belief that I can never have that again. And actually, none of that is true. None of that, none of that is true. Because we see this world through our physical senses and we believe that reality is only what we perceive through our physical senses. And in fact, reality is is a multi-dimensional perception and as we develop our psychic senses and intuitive senses they become even more real sometimes than our physical senses but we're so focused and acclimated to the physical five senses the touch the smell the sight the sound and when we start to acclimate to the intuitive subtle senses they expand and they become just as a much of a reality in this physical world as our physical senses. And so those experiences with spirit can be visceral, can be physical. Like you can feel, we can feel them. You can feel basically what we feel is our own emotion. And where does the emotion come from? It comes from our thoughts. So as we're holding someone's hand, we're thinking, isn't this nice to hold someone's hand? Ooh, I love holding your hand. Ooh, I love you. Oh, this is so nice. So really what we're feeling is our own thoughts. We're having an experience, but then we're responding to it through what we're thinking. So we can hold someone's hand and say, ooh, I hate holding your hand. I hate you. You've got a sweaty palm. Let go of my hand, you know, and then we're having an awful experience. We're doing the same thing physically. We're holding someone's hand, but we're thinking about it differently. We're having a different perceptual experience. Life is a perceptual experience. And we make it physical by saying only that physical thing can give me that emotion. So because that physical thing is not here anymore, then I can't have that emotion again. I can't have that joy. I can't have that same feeling that I felt when I was with you physically. And that's not the truth. The truth is we can, we can, and we do, and we can, we can have that same joy in our lives as the joy we felt when we were with someone who we've perceived we've lost. Yes, death is an illusion. There is no death. Speak to dead people, I'll tell you. you You're not dead. You're in the body, you're out of the body, but there is no loss and there is no death. There is just a difference in a perceptual experience. There is a shift in a perceptual experience and like many of you know that have lost friends loved ones lovers relatives you can hang out with them in your dreams in another perceptual experience like I was saying to Stephen my friend Kate who committed suicide in her 30s I used to fall asleep at night and wake up in my astral body and she'd be sitting on the end of the bed and I'm like oh oh, hi there you are and then I remember hugging her and feeling her and shaking her body and saying, why can I? Because I knew I wasn't in my physical body. Why can I feel you? Because I'm thinking if I'm a ghost, I'm going to be like see-through, right? We're going to be able to walk through each other. And yet I was having a perceptual experience that felt solid and physical and third dimensional, but I wasn't in a third dimensional realm. I was in some astral realm, but it was as solid as a physical realm because that's how I was perceiving it from that experience from that perception experiencing her as solid and i could touch her and feel her life is strange and beautiful and there's so much to explore as we live these physical lives and expanding our opening our minds and opening our hearts and expanding our experiences and our reality expanding reality <laughs> Brandon show. expanding our reality is just the trip it's the ride of this lifetime it's it's smashing paradigms breaking through limiting ideas and thoughts and one of the biggest I was saying to Stephen after we finished talking on camera one of the biggest when I asked my guides I need to address what is suffering in this world what's the thing that makes people suffer the most they said to me the death thing because <laughs> I'm like I need to make a movie or write a book that's going to change the world. What will I write about? They said, write about what you know. And I said, well, I know about death. Everyone dies on me. And uh, and then I said, how do I address the thing that suffers, make people suffer the most? And they said, it's the death thing. That's the thing that makes people suffer the most. It's that illusion of loss when there is none in reality, in truth. And maybe you'll never really fully know that is your truth until you do transition or well, maybe you will but that's the challenge that we're up for can i don the perspective of my higher self can i know who i am as a spiritual being having a physical experience and not a physical being having a spiritual experience can i identify more with the reality of who i am beyond the physical world and needing the physical world to dictate to me how I experience it, how I think and how I feel. Can I experience this physical world through the knowledge and the knowing and the wisdom of my higher self, which understands that I am not this body, I am not this mind, I am not this experience. I am energy that is flowing through this experience. I am the creator of this experience. I'm not the victim of this experience. Can that be my truth. That's what I'm up for in this ride of life. That's my mission to really live that fully as my truth. And as I do, and as you do, you expand your field, you expand the vortex of the love in your heart. You just enrich this world with pure positive energy. And from that, Perspective from that vibratory experience, from that stance, you have the power of influence, like the gurus do, like the Buddha and the Christ and all the great masters. They they lived that perspective as their knowing and as their truth. I remember hearing, I don't know where I heard it, but I say it many times. Uh, Jesus was so identified with who he is as spirit, as soul, as God, I suppose, if you want to call it that, that when he looked upon the leper dripping with their, their experience of illness and pain and suffering, he didn't see the pain and the suffering. He only saw the soul, the spark of divinity, the light within the body that had elected to experience that experience of pain and suffering. And he was so focused on the truth of the identity of the light within the body and not the physical experience of the body that that power of influence created miraculous healing as, as people gazed upon him him knowing who they really are, not their body and their pain, but their, the light that is creating that, they too remembered. And in that remembrance, the physical um, suffering just melted couldn't exist within that light. That's what we're up for, right? That's what we're here to do. We're here to remember the light, the truth of who we are. And grief, like Stephen says, it's not to be ignored or pushed away. It is, um, it is guidance. It's a deep dive into the subconscious programming, the limiting ideas that we believe based in the identity of who we think we are and as grief arises we can question it and say what am I believing to be true in this moment that is causing so much pain I'm believing in this loss and then as we say okay is this the truth Have I really lost this person and Stephen's message is no you know the whole book is about the fact that Lauren's still there with him and she says so beautifully Don't tell people you've lost me. I'm right here. Not lost. Not lost. Not lost. We're together. We're not lost to each other. We never will be. It's impossible. And if you grieve, it's because you're believing a lie. You're believing in the lost story. And the lost story is bogus, basically. Anyway, grief is a strange and beautiful thing. And uh, and it's an important part of an awakening, really a spiritual awakening, awakening to your own programmed beliefs. Stephen has said in many podcasts, and we discussed it after I turned off the recording, that he had a he had a programmed belief that very much influenced his life, both negatively and and positively. In abandonment, he had abandonment issues, and so the loss, so-called loss of his beloved has sort of brought that abandonment up to the surface to once again be worked with and looked at and is it true am i really abandoned i mean if we are an extension of the source if we are you know that same energy that pure positive energy can we ever really be abandoned people can leave our life mothers and fathers can disappear and abandon us and husbands and husbands and wives and lovers and friends but can we ever really be abandoned If we are fully connected to the source of who we are, no, it's impossible. Abandonment is a bogus story too. And yet we believe it as our truth and then we suffer over the illusion. So grief is a way of smashing the illusion. It's a way of identifying, of bringing awareness to conscious awareness of what we're believing to be true. And then in that awareness, we can question it and we can transmute it and dissolve it. Let it go. Yeah. Let it go. Not the truth of who you are. You are love. Remember to feel it. You are love. Oh, that was beautiful. I loved talking to Stephen. He's amazing. He's wonderful. Love him. All right. I'm not going to say too much more. I often yak about what's coming up on the inner sanctum. Oh, Preston Dennett is coming. I told you I was getting galactic. So the conversation I had today was not galactic. I was actually going to ask him if Lauren has been chatting with some extraterrestrials on the other side, but I forgot to get that question in. Anyway, there was lots of questions I didn't get in, but we'll talk again, Stephen and I, am sure. But uh, Preston Dennett, check out his YouTube channel. He um, he's, a, he's a UFO experiencer, ET researcher, but he's also an experiencer and he's got his amazing stories of his own. I had him on the show. I can remember, maybe a year ago, last year at some type of stage. And he's going to come in as our guest teacher. And uh, we're going to talk about telepathy and communication with spirit and communication with uh, extraterrestrials and um, other forms, other forms of points of consciousness in the universe and how they're helping this world. And yeah, I don't know what we're going to talk about lots of things. So if you want to join us, sign up at slash uh, inner sanctum. Uh, to join our weekly discussions. Uh, yes, yeah, love Preston. Anyway, and I'm on every week, talking, teaching about deliberate creation, helping you uh, uncover, become aware of your limiting ideas, perspective, condition programming, and letting go of it, unraveling it, uncovering it and unraveling it, and being more connected to the source of who you really are that pure positive energy, that bliss, that love. Spread in the love. Spread in the love. Love you big time and remember to buy the book Awakened by Death. It explodes. It explodes a lot of the um, ideas around what is happening in the, in the afterlife and grief and all that sort of stuff. It's a great book. And one of our authors uh, has actually transitioned herself. She transitioned a few weeks ago, a few months, a couple of months ago. Uh, Yvonne Ballard, Naya, N-A-Y-A. So she's the last story in the book. And her NDE experience was so extensive. She didn't actually go into it. I think she went into it more on my show and more on her own YouTube channel than she did when she wrote about it. I wanted her to write about her NDE experience for the book. But what she ended up writing about was just giving a whole lot of advice about diet and this. And I'm reading the chapter thinking, this is not what I asked for. But anyway... She felt very much to teach because as she came back from her uh, NDE, her near-death experience, where she was out exploring the cosmos, she had these downloads of knowledge that was just coming through thick and fast, just teaching humanity about all sorts of things. And I think that uh, in her chapter, she felt very much that she wanted to relay some of the information that was flowing through her, which she did. Um, I haven't read it for a while, but it's a fascinating chapter. So, yeah, check out the book if you're interested, Awakened by Death. Love you big time. Thanks again for listening and watching and sharing the shows and subscribing and all that good stuff. Bye for now.